Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number seven of Big League Flicks, a sports movie podcast. I'm Jamie McKinman, and as always, I'm joined by my co-hosts, Christian Webster and Jordan Reed. How are we doing today, boys? Hey, boys. How are you? Good week. Glad to be back in Raj. Ready to rock and roll. Pumped for this one. Hey, everybody. Great to be here. Good movie. Excited for this one today. We'll see how this one goes. I love that song, too. Kenny Loggins. You, you put Kenny Loggins in, I'm, I'm going to cut in some rug. He's a movie icon. Especially 80s movies. Like That's Kenny Loggins. You're hard-pressed to find a really good 80s movie that doesn't have Kenny Loggins in the soundtrack. He's got it covered. Yeah. All right. So today we're taking on an upper echelon comedy favorite with Harold Ramis' 1980 cult classic, Caddyshack. Welcome to the Bushwood Country Club. The membership's exclusive. You think I'd join this crummy snobatorium? The help is outrageous. The madness is contagious. Bad language, fooling around on the course, poor caddying. What is whole place? Caddyshack, starring Chevy Chase as Ty Webb. Who is that disgusting man over there? A sportsman who really knows how to score. So what brings you to this uh, nape of the woods, neck of the wave? How come you're here? Rodney Dangerfield as Al Servant, a big shot. My dinghy's bigger than your whole boat! With an even bigger mouth. <laughs> hey, somebody step on a duck. <laughs> Ed Knight as Judge Smales, a man of dignity. <laughs> and a sense of fair play. I've sentenced boys younger than you to the gas chamber. Michael O'Keefe as Danny Noonan, a caddy who wants an education and gets one. You take drugs, Danny? Every day. Good. And Bill Murray as Carl Spackler. Uh, just a harmless squirrel, not a plastic explosive or anything. Nothing to be worried about. He's not crazy about gophers, <coughs> but he is crazy. License to kill gophers by the government of the United Nations. Caddyshack, the comedy with... Well, boys, I've heard this rumor, and I don't know if it's true. But I heard a lot of the cast members on this movie like to indulge in the odd cold beverage. No, I'm I'm dead serious, guys. I'm serious. What? No, I'm serious. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think I think it'd be considered bad etiquette not to crack open an ice cold beer in homage to this film. So, in honor of the cast and the crew, let's kick off our brew review. What we got chilling in the clubhouse, Web? Well, boys, for this week, we're going to yell a word that uh, Jordan's quite uh, familiar with yelling when he's on the T-block, and that's for... We're going downtown to uh, our good friends here at uh, Spearhead Brewery. We're going to have one of their uh, great pints. Uh, If you haven't had Spearhead, you should definitely go ahead and check them out. They are uh, fantastic uh, beers. The thing I really like about Spearhead, and I think some of you guys could probably attest to this, they're not your pretentious craft brewery. They are your working day, kind of everyday blue-collared kind of brewery and beer. Uh, And so they make a lot of fantastic beers. Like I said, we are drinking the uh, 4 IPA, very similar to the Greenwood IPA that we had last week from Left Brewery. Um, But this is uh, original. It's 4%. It's a four-session IPA. It's incredibly balanced, crisp, and refreshing. 
It combines four New World hop varieties and a medley of two-row Munich, Carahill, and Caraform malts to create our flavorful yet approachable beer for all seasons. It's brewed with the first Canadian patented and trademarked hop Sasquatch, as well as Idaho 7, Citra, and Azaka. The Session 4 IPA is budding with citrus aromas and tropical fruit undertones with a mild bitterness and a dry finish. Well read. Hey, yeah. That was a free ad read. Here we go, boys. Yep. Oh, that's tasty. Christian was right. I do say four a lot, especially on the first tee. I'm not going to lie to you. That's a great beer. Beerhead has it nailed in the realm, like you said, Webb, about the non-pretentious. Yeah, they got a lot of mixes. They got a lot of uh, different flavors, different, I, you know, they have IPAs. They, they have some uh, some nice ambers. Hmm. They got stuff that's that's nice and easy, easy drinking. If you want something that's heavier, they got that too. So they've done a really good job. And they're, they're a hometown beer for us. And so glad we're doing them tonight. I think I've had a few of their beverages. I, they've been great during COVID for, for us. I know a bunch of us have ordered uh, the beers and they deliver it the next day very quickly or even within the day. So I, I enjoy this one. These guys, when you order, it comes really fast. I had them drop it off one time. I ordered it in the afternoon. I was in my hot tub that evening and the guy dropped beer off. You don't get better than that. Amazing customer service and super nice. Like yeah. All the staff are like salt to the earth, super nice people. Absolutely. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what I really like about this one too is it's like I said, it's four percent. It's actually I would consider this a perfect golf course beer. Uh, it's flavorful. It's something that's a little bit more. Uh, it'll it'll continue to kind of get you through the round. You know, you you you're not going to drink about a thousand of them like you yes. would maybe like a light Michelob Ultra or mm-hmm. something like that. When you're it's on, true, you can kind of keep your your round under control a little bit and still have a good time. Still have a couple of these because they're really flavorful. Yeah, you can't pound them. It's a 4% that tastes like a 6%. It does. Exactly. That's a great way to put it. What do you give it here, JR? Uh, I'm going to go pretty good on this one. I'm going to give this one a 7.9. Very nice. Stepping it up. Yeah, I am. I think the fact that you can get that much flavor into a 4% beer, and like you said, Webb, I can drink it on the golf course and still keep my round Mm -hmm. intact. What do you got, Webb? Yeah, I was thinking I'm going to go with 8.1. Uh, yeah, I really enjoy this one. It's probably my go-to from Spearhead when I get the chance. So I'm going to go, yeah, 8-1. Nice. Well, I'm going to go in between the boys. I'm going to go an 8.0. So we've got a... Lucky score. We got a, <laughs> I was waiting for that. We, we, got a, we got an Andre Markov with a 7-9. We got a Phil Kessel with an 8-1. I don't know who wears Nick 80. Antropov. Nick Antropov. Nick Antropov. Oh, there you go. That's a good line right there. That is a good line. That's, That's a, a good line. line. All right, boys. Well, today, as we mentioned, we're doing Caddyshack. So this movie was directed by Harold Ramis. Uh, for those of you who don't remember who Harold Ramis is, as well as being a uh, talented writer who also did Animal House, he was uh, Egon from uh, Ghostbusters. But No big deal. Not a big deal. So we have uh, written by Harold Ramis, co-written by Brian Doyle Murray, who is uh, Bill Murray's brother, and Douglas Kenny. Uh, the movie was released in 1980, produced by Orion Pictures, and distributed by Warner Brothers. It received a 7.3 rating on IMDb and a 72% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, had a budget of $6 million and achieved $39.8 million at the box office, so it did quite well. Music by Johnny Mandel, featuring my boy, Kenny Loggins. Starring Chevy Chase, Rodney Dangerfield, and Bill Murray. So the movie synopsis is uh, Danny Noonan has a summer job as a caddy at the posh Bushwood Country Club, where he's working towards gaining a college scholarship sponsored by the club. In an attempt to gain an edge, Danny kisses up to club president Judge Eli Smales. Judge Smales represents the executive elite. When Al, uh, I'm not going to butcher this name, Cervic. Al Cervic, a self-made millionaire with an edge as rough as a serrated knife, 
shows up as a member guest, a battle of egos ensues. Things become complicated when charming longtime member Ty Webb, who is also Danny's mentor, gets pulled into the war between Cervic and Judge Smales. Will Danny make the right choices to secure his future? Who will win the battle between the snobs and the slobs? All right, we'll jump into the character review. Let's start out with Danny Noonan, played by Michael O'Keefe. I don't mind Danny. Danny's one of those guys that he's just, he has no chance, and he knows what he's trying to get out of the circumstances he's in. He's one of those social mobility kind of guys, and he's sucking up. He's trying to play the country club game to me. He knows the judge. He knows what he has to do. I don't think he likes that he does it, but overall, he's doing what he has to do to succeed in a long-term game. His character's fine. He's got a great golf swing. Great swing. He got with Lacey. I don't know how he did that, but hey, cheers to him. I think Lacey was, uh, we'll get into that later. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I mean, overall, he was an okay character. I didn't mind him. I, I would have liked to have seen a little more of him. And I think a little bit more on him in this movie would have been okay. Because he's one of those characters you're trying to root for. And you knew he was doing sketchy things. Or not sketchy, but you know he was being a brown noser to try to get himself to his point. And you saw when he was at his house how hard his life actually was. He's leaving out his fire escapes, you know, web, things like that. Yeah. That he's trying to do what he has to do. Yeah, super resourceful. And definitely, like you were saying, ambitious. But to the point where he doesn't actually know what he's ambitious towards. He just knows that he wants to be... Mm-hmm. Not what he's doing now. Agree 100% with what you said about his golf swing. Very fluid. Mm-hmm. Uh, it probably struck the ball. There's a reason why he, he won the the, uh, the caddy open there. And like I said, he is very resourceful. Mm-hmm. I don't know, Jane, what do you think? Yeah, no, I think you guys nailed it. I don't think I have a lot to add to that other than in the beginning of the movie, you know, I think that the character arc was really going in a, a direction. I think he kind of gets just overshadowed his character throughout the movie by he does uh, some of the bigger personalities mm-hmm. in it. But I liked him. Good kid. You know, you root for him, so. Yeah, you wonder how much of his actual story was maybe left on the cutting room floor in this movie. Yeah, we'll get into that later, but the original script had a lot more Danny in it, and there was more to his story and Tony's. But we'll, we'll definitely t- we'll get into a little bit more detail on that later. Let's move on to Ty Webb, played by Chevy Chase. I mean, what can you say about Chevy Chase? He's, he's hilarious. He has some of the best lines in this movie. I'll be quite honest, I don't know how much he actually brings to the the character itself brings to the the story of the movie the putting at night like just when he's playing through and carl's like he's just got some of the best scenes and his delivery is just so deadpan and so you know typical this is chevy chase at, at, at his best right if if you're gonna youtube anything you younger millennial types uh about what chevy chase is and who chevy chase was before community and all those other things you definitely need this is where you start yeah I think he's the second best character in this show. That's where I had him at. I yeah. believe, like you said, Webb, I think his swagger, his demeanor, his body language, his delivery of lines is as good as it gets. That's my kind of humor is Chevy Chase's delivery of various lines. I had him of, uh, I thought he was cool, confident. I think he was pretty important to Danny because he gave him like a realistic guy to kind of look up to where you're like, okay, this guy, you know, is who he is but danny like keep some sort of compass to yourself as you kind of don't completely sell out to judge but i thought he was a really cool character and in the country club world of the snooty country club world you need somebody like this who it knows they're rich and that their life they're fine they're not they're fine but he's a really important character and chevy chase's lines delivery is second to none 
Yeah. yeah, he's a he's an important character. I'll agree with you 100% that way. Like you need that I guess balance. Um but I mean it's a lot easier for somebody like him to be all uh laissez-faire and nonchalant when you don't have to worry about money like Dan Absolutely. does, right? So like yep. you know, there's there's that piece where you're just kind of like, yeah, but at the end of the day you're still a pretentious D-bag like the rest of them. Yeah. He's either my f- favorite or second favorite in the movie by far. Um, I love like you guys nailed everything that you just said there like his one line some of his lines in the movie are hilarious like I love the line where he's talking about you don't keep score well how do you measure yourself against other golfers and he's like by height like, <laughs> just, <laughs> just, just that stuff right like, the quick wit yeah the quick wit and like that's Chevy Chase I think he's a an interesting character I actually do really like how they developed his character in the sense that one he's, he's kind of Danny's mentor right totally to me this movie's really not about golf per se but it's more about class class you know within so you've got it says it on like i think the tagline in the movie snobs versus slobs so he's got his foot in kind of two worlds because Mm -hmm. he grew up in the snob world they mention it in the scene where he ends up taking the bat that his father was friends with judge smale or something like that uh so he grew up with that and i think he has a lot of resentment towards that side of it which is why he doesn't keep score and it's why he just leaves his like checks with 70 grand checks laying around in his apartment and kind of lives kind of like a slob in his apartment. So he, I think he resents the rich side of him. And, you know, so he's got his foot in both worlds and he's almost a guy that kind of an equalizer in the movie. He, he, and Danny's, he's very important in Danny's development. He's that middle ground. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He provides some middle ground. Right. Definitely. I mean, he gives, he, he, I guess if anything, he gives Danny that understanding that you can be true to who you are or it's important, I guess, to be more important to be true to who you are than to worry about what other people think of you, I guess. Right. In a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Because you've got really two extremes with Judge Schmales and Al. Right. (laughs) So you've got like the, you know, fully on one side and and you could tell like Ty gets annoyed with both of them. Like he's kind of walking that thin line in the middle, but yeah, no, I liked his character. Let's move on to Judge Schmales played by Ted Knight. I think he's the best character in the movie. Wow. He's a talented actor. He, he is. He's okay, been, this exactly. This is why I like him. Because first of all, Ted Knight, Mary Tyler Moore show. Yeah. He's a real actor. And you can tell he's really acting. This guy like read his lines, practiced, rehearsed, and performed. There's no improv. This guy, to me, like this isn't acting going on. I also think he's the best character in the show because without him, there is no show. He's the ultimate, what we would call an antagonist or the person you go against, so to speak. And he plays it perfectly. If you can think of your hometown, wherever you're listening, country club, and you think of the most snottiest human being you can think of, he comes to mind. And he plays the role. He's the guy with the sweater wrapped around his neck. He's the guy with the high socks. He's the guy with the bad hat. Whatever you want. If he's not in this movie, this movie falls apart. No. He's perfect, pretentious prick. He's amazing. I think he did an amazing job. And Ted Knight, like, it shines through. You can tell this person is a trained, polished actor. He's got the chops. Yeah, he's got the chops, definitely. I yeah, loved him. You know what's totally underrated about him in this movie? And maybe I'm I'm using them underrated, but it's, I shouldn't. For me, it's his body language. Like, how well he uses his facial expressions in particular. Like, he's on, like, some Jim Carrey-level facial expressions in some of the scenes. He totally and, is. And is boiling over anger. Yeah, it's like, amazing. it's I 100% agree with everything you said, Jar. And and I mean, he's he plays it perfectly. He, just like the little things, like the foot wedge that turns into like, <laughs> oh you know, yeah, like a field goal wedge. Like everybody the way he knows, kicks it out. Everybody like, knows those. Guys. And everybody, and, and and I mean, and everybody knows he cheats. Like 
I got into it. My wife and I were talking about like just the golf aspect of it. And I was saying, you know, arguably, you know who the best golfer is? I'm like, because Chevy Chase, you know, he has a scene where he's putting and all that stuff. I go, I think the doctor is arguably the club champion of that course. Like he's probably, okay. Because he was the club champion. The doctor is the most consistent of all the golfers in that, on that, uh, at that course. So, I mean, like, you know, Judge Smales, to your point though, fantastic. Like, you're right. You need him. uh, And I think. Think of it when you said body language. Think of him like teeing off and they're making noise. And he's like, can you be quiet? Well, I can't remember exactly what the quote was, but that is pure like country club guy. You think of country club guy? Like that's country club guy. That's like last week when I got told, I got shushed when I was on the green putting my own putt and somebody at the opposing tee box shushed me and I just about turned around, (laughs) putted the ball at his head. You're like the modern day Al Cervic. A little bit. (laughs) Oh yeah. Rock some journey on there. I'll tell you that. Let's move on to... Carl Spackler, played by Bill Murray. I mean, this guy steals the movie for me. I don't care what anybody has to say about the gopher and everything else. The gopher, as I will say, I'm sure JR is going to bring this up. The gopher is the excuse that your parents could use. So your old man probably was the first one to watch this movie with you, I'm going to guess, right? As it was mine. The gopher was the excuse your old man could use to put this movie on with you as a kid. It's a kid's movie. Look at that. Yeah, it's a kid's movie. Look, there's a gopher. It's like Elf. And it's literally just so he could get that, like, Two minutes of side yeah. boob that they, they, <laughs> that they shoot all lazy. And just so he could have oh, it, right? she's, There's a full nudie. That's there. what I mean. Yeah. So, like, this is the excuse. I mean, Bill Murray is – my favorite scene is when he's, you know, right, when he's hammering the flowers. He's talking about Cinderella's story. Uh, we're here to go. Like, good he, impression, Webb. He, pretty good. he <laughs> makes this movie. You can't have – like, in the same way that Judge Smalls is needed – Bill Murray is totally a hundred percent needed for this movie. The the scene with him and Chevy Chase, like I just I can't get enough of him. The last twenty minutes, I think he, I see his relevance. Before that, I have no idea what he's doing, and I can tell where he's like, you spent six days in this set, and I can tell he's more like ad libbing, and he's more improving, and you can tell he's not like compared to like Ted Knight, he's not putting the work in. That's the vibe I get from him when I see Ted Knight. I'm like, you're not putting the work in, Bill Murray, like Ted Knight did, to make yourself. I don't understand the for the first hour and 15 minutes. I don't know what he's doing, and that's the vibe I get from him. Yeah. Now I know I'm going to be against a lot of people in this one, but I don't know what his role is. And then mm-hmm. finally, the scene where Chevy and him are in the he, you know, he's playing through and he's hitting off his grass or whatever that he's created. I get Bill Murray more after that scene, but for that first while, like with the sniper rifle, where it's like daylight, but it's nighttime in the background. I don't know if you noticed that or not. Yeah, there's but, a lot of in, <laughs> yeah. there's a lot of yeah. but, continuity uh, issues with this one. Yeah. But I'm like, okay, but there's things where I'm like, I don't know what you're doing, and I can tell you didn't put as much work in as the other people, but you provided a name. I don't know, Jammer. Yeah. Well, and we'll touch a little bit on it later. Bill Murray was only supposed to have a small cameo in this movie when it was originally shot. Uh, his brother wrote it. He was hitting it pretty big on SNL at this time. And a lot of these guys, actually, they just wanted smaller cameo roles in it. But their roles kind of just developed out of the improvisational culture of the movie. I agree with you, JR. There's a lot of things where I'm just like, well, I don't think that scene makes a lot of sense, but it's funny. You know what I mean? Like there's mm-hmm. there's iconic, hilarious quotes that I you know, can recite over and over and, and you love it. And you always talk about it. You remember that scene when Bill Murray's hitting the things and... Uh, the underdog, you know, you could do the voice better than me, but you know that, that was one. pretty good. Cinderella story. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> it's pretty good. So, uh, like those things are iconic, right? And I think that was one of the top 
100 movie quotes. It came out in the National Film Institute or whatever it was. But uh, there are things like that. As far as the story goes, he doesn't really tie anything in. I think it makes sense when it comes to golf courses because there's always that kind of quirky green, crazy wild. Yeah, yeah you need golf course. Guy. You see the you see the guy yeah. mowing the lawn. He's staring like the scenes where he's got the fetish with the older ladies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I actually didn't pick that up when I was younger when oh, I watched God, no. it. But this time I watched and I was killing myself in yes. those scenes. But as far as like the actual story goes. I can, knowing what I know about how this movie ended up coming off the cutting floor and what originally was designed to it, it goes, that makes sense why a lot of these scenes are, to me, they're, they're kind of like skit comedy that were kind of mashed in there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think he's hilarious in it. I don't know where he fits into the story necessarily, um, but he's great comic relief, I think. In I, I will add to this point. You, JR, you, made the, you made the point about how he, he didn't really maybe put in the, the work Right. And I would say, like, think about how many scenes at the beginning. It's just him. Right. Like he's essentially just doing a monologue. Yeah. And so like that you're not you don't have that ability to, to play off another actor in that that sense. So in a lot of ways, that is maybe a little harder. Bill Murray is just that kind of comedic. Genius. Do you know Do you know how much direction he had? Do you, so you know that you know that scene where he's hitting the flowers? Yeah. Guess what it said in the script? <laughs> it's flowers. It, it, it says he, he picks up whatever that tool is that he has. And and just start taking golf swings and hitting the flowers. He they didn't have any. They didn't tell him any lines or anything. He came up with that all on his own. He uh, apparently I mean, Harold, he's such a huge golfer. It's not they, surprising. They yeah. wanted him to like Tell mutter me. stuff and talk while he was doing it. But but uh, Harold Ramis said to him, uh, you know, like uh, you know how like people like talk to themselves when they're swinging and stuff. And then Bill Murray cuts him off and goes, Yeah yeah yeah, I got it. Don't even tell me anything more. I got this. And he just went out and that's what he did. Like genius. He rattled it genius. off and it gets included in one of the top 100 quotes. Genius. But what I too. liked was when I started to realize is it's a movie, not an SNL skit. And he started to That's play it. off Chevy in the scene. I'm watching a movie. So I like that part where I got to see them play off each other, even right. though they're, quote, rivals or whatever. You got to finally see, and that's why in the last, I don't know, 25, whatever minutes it is, yeah. you got to see Bill Murray like, okay, I start to get your character a lot more as opposed to you just saying, okay, go do this by yourself. Go do this by yeah. yourself. And I got to appreciate it from my viewpoint. Yeah, I got enough. it. I got him more now. I, I think for the comedy aspect and the impact of people being like, man, this movie was funny. He's necessary. As far as like the actual story, I don't think he has a point in it, but Not yeah, really, mm-hmm. no, yeah, I yeah. agree with that. Uh, let's do uh, Al Cervic. I keep wanting to say Chervic because of my time in in Eastern Europe, but uh, Rodney Dangerfield. I mean, Rodney Dangerfield's a legend. Another one, like I, that to me, this is why this movie is always going to be so high. You got Dangerfield and Bill Murray, two of like the absolute best uh, of the best. And, and Dangerfield plays this role perfectly again. Like, I, I literally was trying to do, like, who could possibly play his role. And I can't picture anybody, uh, even remotely coming close to how well he did this. The only guy I even kind of gave some consideration to in my head, and I started to think about it, and it would be kind of funny, was like Dice Clay, like somebody who is just so over the top ridiculous. Um, so to me, he's, he's the guy. I mean, you need him in this movie to be the the counter to Judge Smales. Um, so I don't know, Jamer. What do you think? Yeah. You yeah, absolutely. You 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 said it perfectly. He is the best counter 
to judge Schmales and like his stuffiness and that whole thing. He's just so loud, his pants, his outfits, the way he talks, his mannerisms, when he's his dancing is hilarious. Like his dancing is priceless. <laughs> Apparently he was he did a lot of ad lib things. There was a lot of improv improv with him. Like one of my favorite quotes in the whole movie is the hat. Yeah. And he's in there and he's like, Oh, <laughs> look at this hat. Like, you gotta get a free bowl of soup with it. Uh, oh, it looks good on you though. So <laughs> and then the, he rolls his so eyes the, and like looks away, but the guy can see you know what I mean? Like that whole stuff. And and when he's in the dinner party, he's like, Oh, you must have been something before electricity, you know, like all that stuff. So the best part of that hat, I was just thinking about this. So remember that I sent or I think Jordan sent the link with the the uh, other beer we were looking at possibly doing night this. Pudding? Night pudding. Night pudding, yeah. Did you see the can? Did you pick up on the can? The stripes. The you can is the, stri- on your the laptop, can is right? the, the can is the stripes of the from laptop the from the hat. Sorry, wow. yeah. Yeah. I was awesome. dying laughing. His lines were hilarious. His his like seventies eighties comedy like because yeah. sta- he was a stand up comic that yeah. got really famous on Johnny Carson. Right. That's yeah. why they actually brought him in. He wasn't really in films before, so this was all new to him. And Ramus is all about hey, let it fly. We've got some some loose script stuff here, but if you need to go off script, then go ahead. If it's funny, we're going to keep it. And I think that's where he kind of took off. And I don't think his role was supposed to be as big. And he's another guy that kind but of. But I mean, the other thing it. too with him is the physical comedy, the, like yes. you mentioned, the dancing, but his facial expressions. And then his eyes. He, he is a hundred percent like you will find one of him at every golf course you go to that you're a member at or that you know people. There is somebody like him. At every golf course, in the same way that there's somebody like Judge Smales, there's somebody like him at every golf course you've ever been at. You make a good point. You know what, though? He drives me absolutely nuts in this movie. <laughs> I don't have a lot of time for him. His type of comedy, I'm sorry, I have no time for. I'd rather have like a Chevy Chase style comedy or like, I feel like his lines are great, but if it's coming from like a Kelsey Grammer, I love that type of comedy way better. Like Frasier or Chevy Chase or Niles and in, in Frasier. I wrote down like So he's not smart enough. He's not smart enough for you. It's, it's a almost little not bit smart too, enough. It's too obvious comedy it's for you. It's such obvious slapstick. Okay. I, I, I don't I just wanted to just be without him. Okay. After a while. Like the I get all the stuff and I'm not Mr. Golf Club guy by any means. Like I you guys know that. I am not the country club guy. I just found this type of comedy just drove me bananas after about 10 minutes. I'm like, you need to go away. He's right the fun now. uncle. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Like that kind of that stuff drives me nuts. Hey, good kid. Good hey. kid. <laughs> hey, yeah, hey. Now I kid. know why Tiger Zeta Young. <laughs> like his, I feel like that type of stuff, like, yeah, Tiger Zeta Young. But if it's like Frazier with a glass of sherry to Niles, now I know why Tiger Zeta Young. Like I find that type of comedy a little bit more funny. Or like, <laughs> he's, a little low, he's a little too low brow for It's JR. low brow. We're seeing a different side of JR right here. Jerry's a little bit of a snooty duty over yeah, there. I am really not. But. In this type of instance, I really am because his type of comedy, like my wife said this, I was watching the movie last night and my wife's like, you're not laughing. I was like, no, I don't find it funny. You know who likes his comedy? People from Summerside. Whoa, 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 whoa. That's the end of this. Not a chance. Yeah, that's why they do because they're low brow. <laughs> Not Charlottetown, folks. Not Charlottetown. Oh, okay, let's. Uh, Moving on. Let's let's jump into some of the like kind of the lesser characters. Tony Denunzio. Let's talk about Tony Denunzio. I mean, ladies' man, right? Like plays mm-hmm. it perfectly. Italian stallion before yep. Rocky. Like, I mean, the glasses when he's coming out of the pool, the cigarettes. Like, you know, you're a tough guy. 
how many ter- darts did he have? I don't know, but terrible fighter. Like I, I don't know when you watch them square up. Like he immediately tries to like bull rush the guy, and like I'm like, you didn't even attempt to throw a punch, really. Like no. terrible, terrible scrapper. But he looks good coming out of that pool though, with the glasses on. It's all those darts. Yeah, yeah. he's probably not eating good a whole hair. Lot. I'm sure. Quote the cigarettes caught up to him eventually later, but at the time, he's pretty cool. How his b- shoes are fantastic. How about too. The, how about his golf outfit when he golfs in that one round and he's got like the big lapels? He's got like yes. this. He looks like Zorro. Did he not have platform <laughs> shoes on? Was that a silk shirt? He was. I wearing? will say this: patience of a saint too, and he's caddying for the old folks. Oh, oh yeah, oh boy. <laughs> you know what it was? It was all about the 15 darts he had on, yes. the, on the loop. <laughs> all for when, that, but he refuses to pay that 50 cents for that pop. Yeah. <laughs> When he's caddying for those old people, you feel bad oh, for him. God. Oh, You're just God. like, oh, we've yeah. all seen those. We've been behind those people on a golf course. We're like, all he, right. He, he's go. drawn some bad bags, yeah. Yeah, right. he really has. Let's talk about Lacey Underall, who plays Judge Smales' niece. How are you now? Good and you. Good and you. Oh. <laughs> uh, I mean, Vixen? What do you, what do you, yeah. I, doesn't offer a whole lot in terms of, uh, great lines or anything for me but uh, and, and not a redeemable character right? no like you know. there's not a whole lot of uh, great positive. off the diving board though she's yeah, very good diver yeah, i had her as edgy little edgy edgy, little edgy. edgy. i thought edgy you, was a good word for she's her she's kind of like ty in a way where she's rebelling against her upbringing yeah 100 yeah. you know what i mean? said i wrote down doesn't want to actually be there that's why she likes hanging out with ty in the movie i think because well you know they they're both come from that rich background and they yeah. just they've had enough She's yeah. she's clearly just trying to piss off her family. I was gonna say a little bit of a stereotype that way. Very much so. Yeah. Yeah, she is. Yeah, like you could have written that movie without her and just ha- have more focus on Maggie. You could have had the thing with Maggie, Denunzio, and Danny, and that could have been the love triangle. Jr. loves his love triangles. That could have been the yes, thing. Yes, I do. You know, good Catholic girl. She's yeah. a cool character. I had her down as that. I thought uh, good accent, very necessary, and like grounding. Yeah, helps keep and Danny on the kind of keeps narrow. Danny like within. Yeah, keeps him within the keeps him in the line, so to speak. Kind of. Yeah. Thing. I liked her for that. So that was my next character that I had in there, and I think we just tackled her. So, yeah, I think we got. Yeah, it. Maggie. Yeah, I, I personally I would have liked to see a little bit more Maggie and maybe less Lacey. Yeah, I don't know. Not, she had some depth to her. She could have had a lot of depth, Maggie. Yeah, I think. they could yeah, have done more of that character. She's another one. Like I said, I don't know how much was left on the cutting room floor of, of for her. Sure. But I, I imagine there's probably a little bit because I think they left. 80% of her role on the cutting room. Because, I mean, really, like, you just, she what? She basically has Danny into her bed and then. Apparently in the original one, there was supposed to be a lot more around the pregnancy. I was going to say, it would make more sense. Yep. And let's talk about Lou Loomis, who is played by Brian Doyle Murray, uh, who was also a writer on the film. Okay, correct me if I'm wrong. Bill Murray's brother. Was he Noah's Arcade on Wayne's yes. World? Okay, I thought so. I'm like, well, you're do, Noah's Arcade you know, on Wayne's World. Yeah. Do yeah, you know okay. who else he is? He's uh um who, who's the boss in National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation? Uh, oh, yeah. he's the boss. Yeah. He's the guy who he's uh uh, the, uh Uncle Cousin Eddie goes out and gets. Yeah, what's his name? What's uh, it's gonna Mr. Bug me. I don't remember. Let either. us get at us with his name. Yeah. Send uh, us a gift. Yeah. GIF. Yeah, you we'll, can we'll, we'll figure it we, out. We blanked on that it's one. It's gonna come up to me like that, 30 minutes from now. That voice is iconic yeah. in that era. Get and me someone. I just think of Get like, me someone while I'm waiting. <laughs> I just think of like, I, wa- I told these guys earlier before we started the show, I watched Wayne's World and like Noah's Arcade. And he's like, I put a level in there. The kids can't even pass. And they keep on the quarters into it. <laughs> like, you know, like that raspy cigarette smoking voice, so to say. He's got I some sneaky it. good lines in this one too. He's fantastic. Yeah. All the side betting he does. This guy's like another golf course His guy. His expressions too are hilarious. Oh yeah, he was he's great. He's just a vet of the course, right? He was great. Yeah. 
All right, let's get into uh, our realism review. Was it realistic uh, in the sense of the story, and it did it do justice to the sport? Realism review? I had a few things before we get into all the stuff that isn't realistic. Um, we were talking earlier, Jamie, about like the Caddyshack hangout. Mm-hmm. Those side bets. Yes. The side bet stuff at the end, that is very, very real. We've all seen that on the course. We've done it. We've done it. Yeah, yeah we've all been part of the side bets. Um, I wrote uh, music on the course. We play music too. Nowadays, yeah. Nowadays, we all play a Bluetooth speaker. We have it out of the cart. That be back then, probably not. Now, I'm not sure about it, Webb. I don't know. No, but I mean, we also don't belong to a club as snooty as this one. Uh, that is no. true. There's a lot that it, about this movie that's realistic in terms of the golf, right? Like the golf etiquette alone. Uh, you go to any real club and you're going to have that. I was thinking about this. Part of the, the brilliance and part of the, I guess, the the bad stuff about this movie is that it would never ever be made again. <laughs> no. uh, it can't be made again. Number no. one, because it's a classic. But number two, it just it is so offside. Like the colored comments and like some of the homophobic uh, slurs that had come flying out in this movie. Like they do want to remake it though. Ah, oh, of course talks. they do. No. Of course they do. 2018. Come there's on. an article they're talking about it. John Peters, the producer, wants to remake it. No, no, we can't do that. I don't Stop. even know. Who hey, Hollywood. Those. Do something original. Yeah. Come up with yeah. another one. Oh yeah, you could do something. Uh, I I just yeah I don't know. It's it, in terms of the golf, yeah, the the side betting for sure. Um, just you know the caddy tournaments, all mm-hmm. those little things. They're, they're all a hundred percent real. Another real thing I had, Webb, was uh, the slice off the first tee. Oh, for sure. <laughs> We've all sliced off the first tee. Everyone's watching. Hole seven, no one's around. We just hammer it. Hole one, we're Absolutely. like, oh, into the. OB. The other thing you don't really have as much anymore is the actual caddies, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, unless you're at a really, really nice club, uh, you'll get somebody that'll caddy for you. And definitely, if you've ever played when you're traveling, uh, you know, you go playing in Mexico or whatever, you're going to get a caddy. And that's 95% of the time just to help you work your way around the course and tell you where to put a ball and this and that. So um, that piece is nice. But yeah, the the thing that's the most unrealistic to me is the the shutting down the entire course for two guys to have one bet. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the whole premise of that is a little uh, far fetched. But you're gonna have the galas, you're gonna have the big dances and social events. Like those things happen. My unrealistic stuff was Al and Al. Period. That's literally my name. <laughs> his his bag, the boxing gloves. It's worse than your Miami Dolphins head cover. It's worse. It, like, hey. This is atrocious. Like all of Al. Period is unrealistic. How much would you pay for that bag, though? I would mean, want someone beer, to haul that to around. The beer, to have think. the beer pump come up like that? Oh, that yeah, that, that's one thing that I was like, oh, that'd be great. Where's the beer um, coming from? Little pony keg. Yeah. No big deal. <laughs> come on. I had a few notes. I had uh, the caddies uniforms for that type of golf course are a little bit sloppy for me. You would have legit uniforms. Yeah. Yes. I thought that was a bit sloppy. Um, there's some crappy swings other than like Danny. I thought mm-hmm. there were some sloppy swings. But I guess that's normal, right? You're on a course. You're not going to have amazing swings. Judge These aren't pros. Ter- Judge has a terrible swing. Oh, his knees are so like... He, there's too much sway. Swing. He would be he topping. He digs in with those cleats. He'd be topping and chunking a lot of balls. Rodney Dangerfield has an atrocious swing. Yes. <laughs> it's a real bad one. But I, you know what? That's normal, though. The rich, you know, These aren't pros. No, So I guess sure. I shouldn't say... I, you know, They're not pros, so it is kind of realistic. The final scene was a problem for me. Two things. One, they put out a turn. I didn't like that. Did you notice they were putting Yeah, they did. Turn? It's true. That's right. Um, and also, Danny's putt wouldn't have won it. It would have tied it. Because Judge nailed his putt. 
They were all square. Remember going into oh, that. Oh, and Ty play. missed it. That's right. Ty missed his. So they should have had a playoff hole. Yeah, it, it should, should be have been a 19. playoff. That's right. Yeah. So that for me, that that was that. a little bit off. Yeah, I was watching because they say it's all square and they had the four balls, the four putts coming up. And they said, "Doctor, you're away" or something, didn't they? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Doc right. misses his. Ty misses his. Judge nails his, and then Danny hits his, and then they win. Right. But really, it would have created a playoff. And then I just thought the story was a little sloppy. It's mm-hmm. not necessarily about a realism thing. I just I just thought the story started in one arc and then it branched off into about oh, three totally or four did. different stories. There's a bit of a closure there. And the thing that, I mean, this is pretty clear, but the gopher's not real. The gopher, to me, I didn't really like the gopher bits. And I think you made a good point, Webb, though. It, it is a pretty good way, way where like the dads can be like, hey, honey, it's okay. Look at this cute little gopher at the start of the movie. It's for sure them trying to capitalize on a kid market. Somewhere. Yeah. It's Apparently, like the, <laughs> Look at the cover of the DVD. It's, it markets the stupid gopher on the yeah. front. Apparently, the gopher wasn't ever in the script, ever. They added in at the end because they there was a lot of fighting going on in house about on the editing floor about okay where is this movie going and then they they decided to add the gopher scenes in to tie everything together so that was kind of the continuity piece that they used was the mm. gopher um, yeah so that's what I had all right boys let's uh, let's talk about quotes now I'm gonna play just a little uh, compilation of quotes here and then we'll we can get into a discussion about that. Gunga Galunga. and I say hey Lama. Hey, how about a little something, you know, for the effort, you know? And he says, oh, uh, there won't be any money. But when you die on your deathbed, you will receive total consciousness. So I got that going for me, which is nice. What did you shoot today? Oh, I don't keep score, Judge. Oh, well, how do you measure yourself with other golfers? By height. And I'm... No slouch myself. <laughs> Don't sell yourself short, Judge. You're a tremendous slouch. Oh, this is the worst-looking hat I ever saw. Well, you buy a hat like this, I'll bet you get a free bowl of soup, huh? Oh, it looks good on you, though. All right, you must have been something before electricity, huh? <laughs> oh, wonderful boy. Nice boy, you're right. He's a good boy, okay. And now I know why tigers eat their young. Well, the last time I saw a mouth like that, it had a hook in it. Hey, you want to make $14 the hard way? Ah, no. What's your address over there? You're on Briar, right? Briar, uh-huh. Two. You got a pool over there? We have a pond in the back. We have a pool and a pond. A pond would be good for you. Natural spring. Oh, yeah, or, or you know, the pool. Hey, everybody, we're all going to get late. <laughs> oh, some classic quotes there. Uh, that last quote. Hey everybody! We used to, when, I, when I was in college, we'd always have one guy that would like stop the music and then just like stand up on a table and yell at it. Like, that was, <laughs> and then everyone would just go bananas, right? That, that, that's a classic one for me. Um, so, what do you think, boys? Are there any kind of quotes that stood out for you? I still have like I found Chevy Chase's character was the best quotes for me. The uh, I had one over here. I'm sorry. It was the uh, a donut. What is it? A donut without a hole is a Danish. I thought that this quote's quote. like that was amazing. Or uh, how do you measure yourself with other golfers by height? There was a bunch of them. I feel like $100 when Ty said that. Oh, yeah. Of, like, yeah. I feel like $100. You're yeah. like, that is pretty funny. It shows kind of his awesome character that he's not taking himself too serious. Yeah. It's good. <laughs> the, the subtle uh, 
your uncle molests collies to me is always one of my favorite. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, like he just throws that in there. The whole monologue that Bill Murray has when he's hitting the flowers, you know, that we talked about this, that he improvises that. Like, it's just classic to me. Like, I, 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 I love that one. Um, the scene when they're, when Chevy's in there and he's hitting off his grass and the whole interaction there, like there's so many quotable lines there and he's talking about the hybrid of the grass and like, it's just, can I, can I get a ruling on this? Oh, I'm just going to drop it here. So like, there was no direction. There was no lines for like, that That's scene. just amazing. Or he said, you can play 36 and then smoke it. To yeah. <laughs> like, Cannibal. Yeah, that's what, it's just, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like just. <laughs> That's an SNL sketch. That's what I mean. Like it's that just part is. they're it's, just playing off each other there. Yeah, they didn't, they didn't have any scripted lines. They just basically threw them in there and just they they play off each other. Fantastic, yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. Fantastic. I mean, yeah, I don't know. There's, I can't narrow it down. I'm gonna pass it over to you, James. I'm not gonna really add much to it. I think we kind of nailed it. I think the clips had some good ones. So let's jump into little known facts. Bill Murray filmed all of his scenes, including the famous scene with Chevy Chase, in six days. Many people expected them to have another confrontation as they had had during Chase's return to Saturday Night Live in 1975, years before. They were professional and didn't show any signs of their alleged feud. So apparently, I, I had to re- I didn't actually know about this. I didn't know that they didn't get along. I knew there was a lot of people that feuded with Chevy Chase uh, based on his days with SNL. He's a bit of a prick. Yeah, I've heard that, and like he's got a reputation for that. So apparently, when Chevy Chase... He le- he was a- he became a big star obviously on SNL and he left, and when he quickly rose to stardom, a lot of there was a lot of resentment from the other cast members, and he also compounded the hatred with his patented quick put downs, which we see like in his movies right too all the time, and some of his uh, when he whenever he's on like those celebrity roasts, he has uh, some pretty good zingers, so. He ended up coming back later to host Saturday Night Live, and Bill Murray and him didn't actually work together on Saturday Night Live, is what I'm, from what I understand. But Murray was on the cast when he came back to host it. So there were still a lot of casts that were bitter with Chevy, and the tension was still high throughout the week. And on the last day of dress rehearsal, Chase and Murray got into it backstage when Murray told Chase uh, that everyone hated him and took a shot at his rocky marriage with Jacqueline Carlin, saying, Go F your wife, she needs it. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently Ooh. Chase retorted with your pockmark face looks like a good landing spot for Neil Armstrong. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so anyway, then and then the next day right before airing, John Belushi had to break up a fight in his dressing room between the two actors. That's the funniest part of that whole story to me. Yeah. With John Belushi. John Belushi. John Belushi. <laughs> up. You John just you can just picture that. him like all sweaty, yeah. drunk, red. high, so red. Yeah. <laughs> just really red and sweaty, like hairy and stuff. Bill Murray said that he didn't have necessarily a lot of resentment towards uh, Chevy Chase. He was just kind of sticking up for other cast I was members. Say, it feels like if, if he was the newer guy, he was probably just going to bat for everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he felt like he kind of filled that void when he left, and he just felt like I felt like I was kind of a leader, and it was my turn to like yep. stick up for my cast members. So, and I think uh, apparently they didn't they you know they tended to avoid them each other on the set of this. The, the, the cast partied like animals, but I mm-hmm. think they avoided each other. And Bill Murray was going back and forth from New York to Florida during the shooting. So, but uh, they've appeared in some things like Variety Hours or whatever they are, like since then, and they apparently have a pretty decent relationship now. Like they're not super great friends, but apparently amicable. They get along. Yeah, they get along pretty well. Uh, so the rowdy, improvisational atmosphere during the shoot created by Harold Ramis, because that's kind of what his thing was. He had just finished writing for National Lampoon's Animal House. Mm-hmm. And then, and if you remember that movie, it's kind of similar, right? It's a lot of like sketch comedy melded together to 
put together a movie. There's the like stories actually a little bit more coherent to me. Yeah, than yeah. this one is. It's a bit more. Yeah. There's a better better arc, so to speak. So you know they had Bill Murray, Chevy Chase, Rodney Dangerfield, who are all could like rattle stuff off, and they're great with impro- uh, improv. Well, it didn't sit well with all the cast members that were like traditional actors, like Ted Knight. So who was re- widely regarded apparently as a really nice man. And he got fed up with the constant shenanigans. Initially, Murray's chases and Dangerfield's roles were to be cameo appearances, but their deft improvising caused their roles to be expanded, much to the chagrin of Scott Columby, who played uh, Tony D'Annunzio, uh, and some of the other cast members like Maggie, whose roles were reduced quite a bit by the result of that. So I think that really, it's obviously got to be hard because you probably are thinking, this is going to be a breakout for me. And then, like, 70% of your character gets cut. That's got to be frustrating, obviously. So so the judge was actually salty in real life? Yeah. A little salty. Absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> they said it was. he was pretty frustrating for him. He wasn't used to that type of Being atmosphere. a traditional actor, that's hard. And it was Harold Ramis' directorial debut. So they were, I think a lot of those traditional actors were like, this guy, had, he's letting, as you mentioned it, JR, when we were chatting earlier, like you're letting the inmates run the asylum. On 100% he was. And apparently there was four hours worth of, which isn't, un, which isn't unheard of for movies, like when you get to the cutting room floor, but they really had no idea where this movie was going in there. And apparently there was fist fights between the writers because the original script was getting torn apart. I, I think uh, Bill Murray's brother, uh, Brian Doyle Murray, he was... I think he was kind of on Harold's side with that improv, improv style. He was used to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the other writer, Douglas Kenny, he had been really dealing with a lot of alcohol and drug issues at the time. And apparently he went on vacation with Chevy Chase in Hawaii. And Harold Ramis says, I remember like he needed to go cool off because he was really mad at what they ended up with with Caddyshack. He thought it was going to be a colossal failure. He really thought there was no story to it. He was angry. It was so far from what they originally had written. So he went off on vacation with Chevy Chase. Chevy came back. Douglas Kenny didn't. Apparently, Chevy had to leave early to come back for shooting on a film. And two days later, they found Douglas Kenny's body in the bottom of a ravine. So, Jesus. Oh, wow. So he, they, oh, no. they speculate that he slipped on a hiking. But there are some people that thought he might have committed suicide because he was dealing with a lot of depression and stuff from the movie and drugs. And he was kind of like in a bad spot. Ooh. So pretty sad, like kind of. It's End a of PSA that. announcement right there for Don't Do Drugs, kids. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So this movie was originally inspired by writer and co-star Brian Doyle Murray's uh, memories working as a caddy at a golf course. And his uh, brother Bill Murray and Harold Ramis also worked as caddies when they were teenagers as well. So they all had that back end. And I think you see some of it in the culture. I think that's one thing the movie did capture. I, I can't speak from my own experiences or anything. I never worked as a caddy. But I remember hearing stories from our buddies. Uh, Martin Severino was a caddy. Like some of that camaraderie mm-hmm. that they have, you know, the, the, the stuff there. I think they, they, they heard a lot of that in this movie. The small talk, the chatting, things like that. Marty talks about Marty has talked to us. Yeah, we've heard some We should ask Marty if, if Ditko was more like Judge Smiles or if it was more like Al. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, that would be a good one to see. Well, when uh, when Smales throws his putter or whatever into the... Yeah. <laughs> I had in, sorry for the realism, is the uh, tossing of golf clubs. I forgot to mention that. Yeah. We've all tossed a golf club. I think there's day. some Ditka in that. Yeah. My seven iron may or may not be at the bottom of the <laughs> ravine at the bottom, ninth at Amherst right now. <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. So Cindy Morgan, who played um, Lacey Underall, apparently she was really adamant she didn't want to appear topless in the movie. 
And in an interview with uh, TV Store Online, she claims that while Harold Ramis was amenable to changing the scene, producer John Peters was adamant about keeping the nudity in the movie and asked to talk to her while Ramis had her on the phone. When the call ended, Peters informed Ramis that Morgan would do the topless scene because he told her that she would never work in Hollywood again if she didn't. So a little bit of Harvey Weinstein in yeah, that. That's there's some Me Too action right A little there. bit that's of greasiness, awful. yeah. That's awful. Um, and it, I, in the article I was reading, it, it sounded very much like this is just what Hollywood was like back then. Like They, they kind of laughed about it almost as if it was like, well... And I think there was a note also that uh, the, the girl that played Maggie... Um, and what Sarah Holcomb was her name. She actually quit acting after this film. And she was one of the ones that actually had her character really scaled back. So, I mean, I don't know how much you know, that played well, in it. There's probably some misogynistic stuff going on as well, because that was Hollywood in the 80s and 70s. Yeah, and she's not your typical blonde bombshell, right? Yeah. You would get pretty sad or, I don't know what the word would be. Jaded. Jaded. Yeah, yeah, frustrated, jaded, angry. If that's happening to you, and... With the other things, like, yeah, the Harvey Weinstein-like things, that's, like, prime time yeah. of all that going on before the Me Too, like you said, Web, any of that. Yeah. And we didn't know anything. Here's another element to the greasiness. So after Cindy Morgan's dispute with John Peters over the nude scene, he invited a photographer to the film set to do a photo spread that was going to appear in Playboy as a promotion Jeez. for the film. So Morgan, once again, said, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be f- photographed nude. I didn't want to do the scene naked. I don't want to be photographed. And Harold Ramis did step in and said, okay, no, we're not doing this. She, this is too far. So he wow. stepped in and canceled that. boy, Egon. Yeah, yeah, Egon. Egon. Egon's a good man. Uh, so to the end of his life, even though, and RIP Harold Ramis, because he passed away, I can't remember which year, but I don't know, like maybe like five years ago or something. Yeah, I feel like it wasn't overly long ago. Yeah, because I remember seeing an interview with his daughter, because she was in this movie. She played one of uh, Danny's little sisters at the start. Um so Harold Ramis was dissatisfied, apparently, with his directorial debut. Uh, All I see are compromises and things that we could have done better, he told GQ magazine in the late 2000s. His greatest complaint was that no one in the film, other than Michael O'Keefe, was able to swing his or her golf clubs properly. We kind of talked about that earlier. Like with the, mm-hmm. He had a nice swing, some pretty ugly ones otherwise. But, I mean, I mean that's what you get at a, at a normal golf club, right? Not, they're not pros. Apparently, Scott Columby, who played Tony, and Cindy Morgan dated for two years after this movie. Really? I saw a little spark at the yeah. pool scene, you know. You, there's, a, you, yeah. there's some comfort level there. Underneath those glasses. Denunzio gives a hell of a background, apparently. Denunzio has a, has a pretty good kill list. He he also dated uh, Valerie Bertinelli when she was in her heyday. Hey, now. Wow. Good and you? 2014, so James. Yeah. Harold Ramis. Oh, is, is that when he did? Yeah. yeah. Off by a year. So th- this is interesting. We'll see what JR has to say about this. This film was ranked number seven on the American Film Institute's list of ten greatest sports movies. Absolutely not. Yeah. Seven. That's high. Seven. That's a high one. No There's way. a lot I'm of sorry, great guys. Sports that is not seven. Yeah. You can I'm sorry, you're, people are gonna be upset with me, but that is not I don't know if seven. there's a lot of good you know sports oh. people on that voting board. I'm wondering who yeah, who's on this? Somebody's getting panel. paid off. Somebody's who's, getting a payoff. Oh yeah, like Somebody's being paid off by Hollywood on this one. On the panel, they're taking down big checks. Oh, Webb, you're not going to like this. So in an interview with The Hollywood Reporter in January 2017, John Peters announced that he was planning a remake with Warner Brothers, which would star his old friend Jack Nicholson. It just doesn't make sense. No. 
It really doesn't. No, I, I leave it alone. Yes, leave it I'm alone. One hundred percent on leaving certain movies alone. Yeah, this is one of them. And this isn't you, P Diddy making a remix. We you're, don't. Know. You're for sure. Yeah, you're for sure. <laughs> <laughs> remix, remix. You're for sure not having. Yeah, you're for sure not going to have Jack Nicholson do this justice either. That's no. the other thing. Like, no. come on. No, I agree with you on that one. Though. There is no need for remix remake of this you're Just not getting it you're not getting be. chevy chase and bill murray in their prime there's no i, I was trying to do because my wife asked me she's like are you gonna do your who would you remake this with and there's nobody that i can think of that would be as sharp-witted as quick-witted as those the only guy that comes to mind to me that, and i don't know what role he would play but like somebody like krasinski and like jason Sudeikis. Oh, yeah, yeah yeah like i feel like because of how krasinski would be a great how krasinski web. yeah how krasinski is in the office right like jim yeah. jim has yeah. That quick web. Yeah. yeah he could do some of those but again Good this one, is one of those ones where i don't want to see a remake of this nope. one i, I have either. no desire to see and honestly remake. like i said before some of the lines in this the cancer cult or the can- cancer the cancel culture uh, it's just not me and remade. You'd yeah. have to tone this down. They'll be waiting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I agree with you on that. I don't yeah. think this should ever be redone. I think you should just leave it in the '80s. And if you choose to watch it, it's your choice. Hundred how, percent. How about this one? Mickey Rourke was initially uh, targeted to play the role of Danny Noonan. Mickey Rourke. Wow. He's he's too cool, uh, especially in that time. He would have been too suave and cool to play. You know, I could see Mickey Rourke. Been older? He could have played Denunzio. He would be a Denunzio, not a Danny. D- Danny needs to be kind of a. Da- Danny's got to have uh, that kind of aw shucks. Like, yeah, uh, you need an aw shucks guy. He's trying to figure his life out. He's a little bit. He's looking for guidance, right? What about Scott Bazzi Bayo? Bayo? Charles in Charge guy? No, he's Tony Denunzio if he's playing it. Do you think so? Yeah, he's. But at ni- 1980? Yeah, he's not he was, Charles in Charge yet. When was that? Wasn't that the 70s? 80s at some point. Uh, no, I think it was like mid 80s. Was it? But he's, yeah, he's happy days. Joni loves, yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. That's a hard, But that's he was, a he was like, the kind of like, I was how old would Ricky, too. Mickey Rourke be at this point in time? He'd probably be about the same age as what the guy who played Danny, Michael, Michael O'Keefe. O'Keefe. It goes back to Webb's point, though. Like, you can't remake this. You. You can't. I'm sorry. Like, we were trying, we're trying to figure out people. It's really hard to do. You guys might have ideas, listeners. Well, let us we know. Don't. Let us yeah. know on social if you got ideas of who should replay yeah. some of these guys. Yeah, yeah we'll please. have to throw that out. We got to get some difference. Uh, who knew that Dean uh, Dean Kane had so many amazing followers in big league flicks? Yeah. So this movie had three writers, right? So uh, a lot of movies, you, you a lot of movies, you'll have two, maybe one. This one had three. So it was funny. Harold Ramos was talking about how they wrote it. And they, I think, all three of them had worked together in the past, not all on the same project, but you know, in different pieces. Uh, so he said we had Doug, Brian, and I in a room for three months. They gave us an office at the Warner Brothers lot in L.A., and uh, we had it set up that one would type, one would pace, and one would lie on the sofa. Classic. <laughs> 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 oh, this was funny too. So uh, producer John Peters on meeting Rodney Dangerfield. So Rodney Dangerfield was really hot on the Tonight Show at the time. Uh, but not in movies. So we brought him in, and he came to the studio in a big black limo. Then he came into my office and took out a plastic bag and did two lines of coke off my desk. (laughs) (laughs) So apparently there was a motel that was like, you basically you could hit like a seven iron from the motel parking lot to the golf course that they shot all the, that the movie set was shot on. Uh, All the actors and crew were staying at this motel. 
So every night was just an absolute <laughs> gong show at this motel. And apparently. you know they all had golf carts to travel to and from. Yeah, so they were probably all over the map. Of course. 100%. 100%. Florida. Yeah. Where they film is in Florida, so of course you would. Yeah. Who doesn't have a golf cart in Florida? Well, let's jump into the soundtrack, boys. Film was scored by Johnny Mandel. Mandel had won five Grammys with 17 Grammy nominations. He scored over 20 films and TV productions, including MASH, which is pretty sweet. Great show. Escape to Witch Mountain and The Verdict. That was a Paul Newman movie. It was a good Mm -hmm. one. Uh, He passed away this past summer, actually, of heart failure at the age of 94 in June. And uh, the Caddyshack soundtrack features several songs from the legendary, beautiful man, Kenny Loggins. This is a great soundtrack. I wrote down perfect for the 80s. And then you incorporate Kenny Loggins. You got this covered. It's just, I, it did it for me. I, you know, I've been critical of a lot of things. I can't be critical about the soundtrack. They, they knew what they were doing on this song. Oh, so I just looked up the soundtrack and it says there are 10 tracks listed on there. Five of them, sorry, four of them are Kenny Loggins. The fifth one is Journey, Any Way You Want It, which again, fantastic. Yeah. That scene is so epic that I sent the boys the, the video earlier, the clipper. The, is that the pool scene? No, the it's Rodney Dangerfield does it in the middle of the sure. fairway. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, let's and party. Yeah. yeah. And let's party and when he's a guest role on The Simpsons, he also pulls out the when he's right. Monty Burns' yeah. kid, he pulls out the Hey everybody, let's party and they play that exact song. So right. JR is just shaking his head in disbelief, but I mean it's a brilliant song and it's yeah. a brilliant scene. I love the soundtrack. Let's move into our movie wrap up. Uh, where does the movie rank among all-time golf movies, and where do you have it on all-time sports movies? Golf movies? Back at the Tin Cup? When we did King Cup, I had Tin Cup as one. I still do. Um, I'm going to put this down to three in my golf movies for sure. Sports movies? I don't know, folks, if it cracks my top 20. I got to maybe put it... I'll get the, I'll take that. I maybe have it at 20, 19, 18, 20, a rate in and around there. I don't go higher than that. I'm sorry. I really don't. And the reason I do that is the danger field piece I can't do. The unrealisticness I can't do. I just can't do it. I'm sorry. I don't have it. And I know people are going to blast me for it. But I can't in good conscience put it where other people will put it. So, first of all, you're wrong. Second of all, <laughs> second of all, it is the number one golf movie. There is not a golf movie that is better than this golf movie. And if anybody wants to uh, get at me on that one, by all means, <laughs> hit me up. Uh, but it is the ultimate golf movie. It is the most quoted golf movie probably of all time. Um, when you think of golf and when you have conversations about golf, you're probably going to relate to 95% of this movie. Um, so it is the number one golf movie for me. Uh, in terms of where it ranks for me in terms of my all-time sports movies, I've been back and forth at the rankings. All It's in my top five. Um, it's one of those ones where it's just a classic for me. I can always put it on. I can always make sure I'm going to get a laugh. Is it a realistic sports movie? No. Uh, is, it a, is it a movie that's just hilarious and has some kind of, I'll say, um, remote connection to sports yes um it's it's to me it's what tin cup should have been tin cup is trying to be a sports movie and having comedy where this is a comedic movie and adding in a little bit of sports so that's why it's number it's number one golf movie for me and it would be yeah in my 
I'd say in my top five all time sports movies. I can't re- it fluctuates in terms yeah. of the day, but I'd say it's anywhere between three and four. Fair enough, Webb. I'm gonna disagree with you, but I like your logic. I'm not. I, I disagree with you wholeheartedly. But good, good, good logic. What I heard oh. is Webb, you're right. No, <laughs> didn't hear that. I think you guys both make really solid points. Really good pitches for it, uh, and you know where you, where it stands with you. I I too have it. Probably three for me is golf movies. I, Tin Cup's my number one. I actually like Beggar Vance as my number two. And then I have Caddyshack three. Webb's just... That's what I Webb, have Webb's too. killing me. Like, Webb's beating me up with his daggers. eyes right now. He's angry. He's, I'm, I'm throwing dagger eyes at you like I throw seven irons in he's, at the pin. He's pointing keys at us right now. <laughs> he looks a little bit like Judge Schmales. I can see a throbbing uh, uh, vein, a vein in his going down the forehead. It's like jagged. It's jagged. <laughs> Just keep all the tools. Where my garage? Keep the tools away from him right now. I don't want to get stabbed. There's a sawzall to my left. <laughs> I don't need a. I don't need a, rob, a red Robbie in my eye right now. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, all-time sports movies. It's probably somewhere between ten and twenty for me. Somewhere in there. And the only reason I put it far down and is the fact that as far as actual sports, it lacks for me in like the sports aspect yeah, of it. It's very loosely. Comedy, if, if you're ranking my all-time comedy movies, it might be in my top five. All-time comedy, it's those those actors and their their comedy for me are huge, but it's just some of the, the, the sloppiness of the story and stuff that just drops it a bit down. I'll watch this movie anytime. Like anybody wants to put it on, I'm sitting down and watching it. It's very entertaining. It's funny. I enjoy it for that aspect of it, but just if I'm going to be serious about sports and sports movies, and there's a lot of really good ones, and I actually realize how how many really good ones there are, or like entertaining ones. Mm-hmm. The other day when I was going through my digging under the stairs, getting all my DVDs out to make sure I had this DVD, I was like, oh my god, I forgot about this movie, this movie. Like, there's some good ones we're going to yeah, be doing. There is a lot pod. coming. Yeah, yeah. It's so. still it's it's I think because of the rewatchability factor. Yeah, uh, it, that's why it's so high for me. There's very few where I'm like, yeah that's going on and yeah. yep i will watch it like this to me is i can probably watch once every three or four months maybe even more if i can find mm-hmm. it on like yeah. a tough sunday afternoon oh yeah this is around, uh, like, like i'll throw it on when you got a little bit of the booze blues on yeah. sunday and you're you're fighting oh, yeah. one you can throw this on and you'll get through it this or is a good one for that or your seahawks are blowing out the niners and you're Wow. Whoa. Whoa. Russell Wilson's doing another whoa. job. Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. Webb Web was already teetering on a nine. You just pushed him into a ten. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, thanks so much, you guys, this week. Webb, uh, why don't you tell us, uh, tell tell the folks where we can hit us up and also maybe where we can Yeah, for sure. Uh, thanks again to everybody for listening engaging with us on social. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Leave us a review. And please continue to engage with us on Twitter at, at Big League Flicks. And on Instagram at Big League's uh, Big League Flicks Pod, uh, we had quite a few uh, likes this week, Jane, from oh. uh, the uh, oh Dean Kane. Dean Kane uh, post. Hey, th- thanks! Shout out to the Dean Kane uh, fan club. The we Kaniacs? Had, are we call we'll call them the Kaniacs. We had a lot of Kaniacs uh, were in force. a lot of big Dean Kane fans. We had a, a, a tweet about Dean Kane and his uh, connection with the Buffalo Bills and his past playing. He was a strong safety with Princeton Tigers, which. I can't cheer for because they were one of our rivals in hockey, but um, <laughs> Princeton has a football Uncle team. Phil played for Princeton. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's why I think it was yeah. Uncle yeah. Phil played O-line for Princeton. Yeah, well, well, I think on one of these things we'll have to talk about which universities had the best like movie sports clubs or something. Like, oh, there's yeah. some ones out there. Like Florida State had what? Burt Reynolds. 
He was Kurt a Reynolds. Florida State Ooh, guy. Right? Like, make it like a, a team. The yeah. Rock played for the U. The Rock played for the U. Played we'll, for the U. We'll have to do. Uh, <laughs> we'll have to do a depth chart for like there Hollywood football guys. Mean, Notre Dame wins. They have Rudy. Enough said. <laughs> Daniel Vince Vaughn e. played for Notre Dame. Too. That's right. Yeah. And I forgot to mention earlier, if you're not already, make sure you go on and give uh, Spearhead a follow. You can follow them on Instagram and Twitter at Spearhead Brewery. You can check them out on Facebook as well. And also, if you're on Untapped, you can check them out there as well. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Cheers, Take guys. Care. Have a good one. Take us out, Steve. Drive them straight, boys. Sports and the glitz and the glamour Got a cold beer pairing for the leading lady staring Fun facts and trivia and man rocket comparing Soundtracks and music, they'll rate all these things Was it real or did they lose us as the fat lady sings? Talking junk, have a giggle, comedy, drama, romance Did the film deliver six to noon in my pants With their big bag of tricks, these podcast critics Jordan Christian and Jammer with Big League Flicks Jordan Christian and Jammer with Big League Flicks Jordan Christian and Jammer